I believe in faith that God wants to do far more than I'm capable of doing this morning. Uh, so, so pray. As, even as I'm preaching, ask God to speak to you and bring clarity to things and to, to do what only God can do. Because at the end of the day, we are all here to, to serve Jesus and to pursue him. And, and we need each other. So um, be sensitive to what the Spirit's saying this morning. So when you are traveling in a car, as you all know, and we're all familiar with cars, you can freewheel for a while, yet the only way to get to where you are going is to eventually put the car in gear. Otherwise, you will freewheel to the lowest point and you will stay there. And what we want to do this year is we want to engage and we want to get ourselves in gear so that we don't just freewheel to a dead end, but we end up exactly where God wants us to be. And one of the ways that we engage is to get involved, is to plug ourselves in, to connect. So we are in a series at the moment called Engage. And you, you might feel, and I know this is a lot of people, even when Greg prayed now, you said humble and I'm like, I just don't see that. Uh, but I, I just think to myself, so often we, we think, Lord, I don't have much to give. And then when we give what we have, and it's the little bit, God multiplies it. It's a biblical principle that God will multiply what little you have, and he will multiply it forward. When we just give what we've got in faith, God does something supernatural with it. So don't think, oh, look, that guy's got a, you know, he's got his doctorate in theology, and I just got saved yesterday. If you got saved yesterday, then Jesus is your king, then Jesus will do it through you. All you've got to do is say, Lord, I'm available. So last week we spoke about the 12 spies. And if you're not familiar with the story... God says to his people, I have got land for you. It's your land. Go and take it. So all they had to do was walk in obedience. It was already land given by God to the people. Uh, So what happens is 12 spies go and they look at the land that they need to take. Because there's still enemies in the land. They still need to conquer the land. But it's the land God's given them. So two with faith to take the land that God has given them. Two of the 12 spies. They're like, we can do this. God is in it. And 10 had more fear than faith. And with that fear, they permeated the hearts of all the other people and ultimately left them going backwards instead of forwards, and they drifted through life aimlessly. What we don't want to do as people is drift through life aimlessly, wondering why we're alive and what our purpose is and where we belong and, you know, what's the point of life? So the two heroes in the story are Joshua and Caleb, and they are the only two of that generation that went from exile into the promised land. Because they were the only two with faith to take the promised land that God had given them. Joshua and Caleb knew that there was more to life. There is more to life than being a slave. There is more to life than drifting through this world aimlessly. There is more to life than just trying to survive. They had faith. They had purpose. They had land to conquer. And this is the scripture that that we looked at last week. Joshua 13 verse 1. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old. Casey didn't have a mirror or didn't understand that. God himself, like, you are very old. And there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. And then, oh, oh man. I took Dale's pointer last week. Made me felt, feel so intelligent. And, and then I left it at home. Like, that's how intelligent I am. I forgot at home. And then I got another one. And I left it at home as well. So, but either way, have we got the picture of the map? So if you go on Google Earth or you go on Google Maps or wherever you go, and you type in the number 4126. goes all the way from the river at the bottom all the way to the top. And I believe that if you're living in this community, 
This is land that God has given us, and it's land that we need to take. But we're going to take it through faith and action. Uh, we're going to pray for it, but we're also going to be intentional and strategic about how we take the land. But that's land not given. And by the way, I've seen some posts. There are some sketchy, spiritual, interesting, different things that are trying to take ground in this, uh, trying to take the land. And we, and we pray and we take action and we take the land that God has given us. So the story of the Israelites runs parallel with ours. We don't want to go through life as slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to fear, slaves to all these things in this world that want to master us. We don't want to drift through life aimlessly, not sure why we're alive. We don't want to simply survive. God willing, we don't end up in just survival mode. There is so much more to life. And when we pursue Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, all the more that God has for us becomes ours. So we, we are motivated not just to take ground because we've got ground to take. It's not about the ground. It's about souls. There is a spiritual element. There are people that desperately need Jesus as much as we do. And we want to trust God that everyone in our community is reached. Not only that, there have been prophetic words over this town saying that we are going to be a statement to the whole world. God can move. All we have to do as his people is say, yes, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to engage. And I don't know where I fit. I don't know where I belong. I don't know what I've got to offer. But Lord... My heart is open. Please use me. And God will. So Caleb, last week we looked at Joshua. And this week we're looking at Caleb, the other hero that took the land. Um, Caleb was born 40 years before the Israelites left Egypt. So he was born into slavery. So his people were in oppression from the moment he was born. So the first 40 years of his life, he was, he was a slave. Then the exodus happens, and the Israelites head off to the land that God has for them. A trip that should have taken, how many days? Uh, actually, it's, it's very interesting. From Egypt to Canaan, from the, the, the duration with the amount of people and all the other detours and the fact that they didn't have cars, a trip should have taken them 11 days. In 11 days, they should have been in their promise. Less than two weeks, they're in the land God has for them. So what happens is they eventually get to the promised land that God has for them. Remember, he said, that's your land, take it. And they go to the edge of the land, and then what happens is Moses sends out 12 spies. And they scout out the land for 40 days, and then they come back with this report. Um, with, sorry, they come back with their report. And as I've mentioned, 10 of the spies were full of fear. And they're like, oh, there's anarchists there, there's big problems there, there's opposition there, so we can't do it. And instead of saying God is with us, we can do it, they say... We would rather die than try, because if we try, we might die, and then off they go, back into the desert. So either way, they're like, for us, we might think, oh, but I can't do it. Let's rather die trying. And I don't believe God wants us to die trying, unless he sends us to a foreign territory that might be a little bit more dangerous. But our territory is not that dangerous. God has called us, God, I mean, Jacob and um, Caleb, they're like, Joshua and Caleb, my goodness, my brain this morning. They're like, guys, please, we can take this land. This is land God's given us. We must take this land. And this is their report. Numbers 14, verse 7. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is rich and flowing with milk and honey. So it's, it's like toti. They are not only helpless, pray to us. Sorry, milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless, pray to us. 
We are the predators, they are the prey. According to those people that were full of fear, no, no, we're going to be the prey, so we'd rather step back. That, it says, this is what uh, they say, they have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. And how's this for the response of the people stoning Joshua and Caleb? In other words, we would rather kill you than kill the enemy because we are too afraid to go and take what God has already given us. So they turn on their own people. The guys that are full of faith are saying, guys, please, stir your hearts. God has got territory. And they're like, no, we would rather you die than make us go into the land that God has promised us. And off they go. Back into the wilderness. And the same, wild, the same wilderness that became their grave site. They went backwards, back into an old way of life, and it ended up costing them their lives. For us, there might be temptation to go backwards, back to old ways, and God is saying, take the ground, take the land. In your heart and in this community, don't shrink back, don't look back, don't turn around. Take the land that God has got for you. And I trust that maybe you're like, I don't know what that means, and that God will stir you this morning, and something will happen by the Spirit. So Caleb... He's 40 years old, and as the story goes, the Israelites go back into the wilderness, and they drift around aimlessly for another 40 years. One year for every day they scouted out the land. 40 days of scouting, 40 years of drifting around in the wilderness. Eventually, Joshua and Caleb and the new generation, eventually, they take the ground, they get to the ground that God has for them, and that new generation starts to take the land. And for five years, they take land. And then we get to this conversation, Joshua 14, verse 7. Oh, um, yes. It says this. I was 40 years old, as Caleb speaking, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh, Barnea, to explore the land. And I brought him back to report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. Don't let anybody make your heart melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord your God. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years, 40 years as a slave, 40 years in the wilderness with the people that had no faith and five years taking the land. Um, 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. He's 85. While Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me that day. You yourselves heard that the Anakites were there. Those are the giants. Those are huge people were there. And the cities were large and fortified. But the, Lord, um, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Je- uh, Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, over, ever since. Sorry, big words, big words in me. Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel wholeheartedly. When Caleb was 40 years old, he said, guys, there's giants in the land. Let's go and defeat them. Let's take it. 
40 years later, they eventually enter this promised land. And what they do is they smash their enemies for five years. Now he's 85 years old. And he's saying, Anakite, nothing but let's take the ground God's given us. I'm 85 years old, but I can still take it. Why? Because God said so. So he said to God and his cause. These enemies are big. They are giants. They are huge and oppressing. He's 85. You know, that is one tough 85-year-old. They didn't say, look, Uncle Caleb... You are getting old now. (laughs) Why don't you just get your slippers, chill on the couch, watch some cricket. You know, 85, you've had a good innings, it's been good. No, Joshua, who's also very old, says, it's yours, Caleb. It's hard ground to take. There are big enemies there. It's opposition. Go and take it. And so he does. And this is not a story about age. It's a story about faith. Holy Spirit, even now, stir our faith to do things we never thought were possible. I pray, Lord, that you will use our church and the churches of this community as a prophetic statement to the rest of the world about how to take ground. Caleb was a man who followed the Lord wholeheartedly. The dictionary definition of wholehearted, if this is what God's called you to, he says to you right now by your name, be wholehearted. The dictionary definition describes wholehearted to mean completely and sincerely devoted, determined, and enthusiastic. Right now, when it comes to the things of God, are you completely and sincerely devoted, determined, and enthusiastic? And then I looked up the opposite of wholehearted. Now, there's some big words here, so I hope I can read them correctly. This is the opposite. Now, God willing, we don't identify with this more than wholehearted. Grudging, complaining, reluctant, unwilling, disinclined, ranch, or <laughs> rancorous, resentful, half-hearted, loath, unenthusiastic, indisposed, apprehensive, hesitant, restrained, tepid, reserved, re- resistant, forced, insincere, dubious, envious, apathetic, begrudging, disinterested, hesitating, bitter, lukewarm, withdrawn, mild, uneager, adverse, uninclined, disobliging, unobliging, unaccommodating, uncooperative, unwishful, and afraid. Wholehearted or a combo of those things. And what stood out to God was the fact that Caleb, who had every reason to be all those things, chose not to be those things. And he says, his wholehearted devotion pleases me. We don't want to go through life half-hearted. If I said to my kids right now, guys, we're going to skip school for the next two weeks and we're going to Disneyland. Their, Their hearts would be wholeheartedly devoted to that cause. They'd be like, no school for two weeks. Yay! Disneyland. Yay! They would be wholehearted about that. Now ask my same kids, not my kids, obviously, other people's kids, to unpack the dishwasher. Half-hearted with a whole bunch of chipped dishes to follow, right? God is looking for us to serve Him wholehearted, not like kids that have been asked to unpack the dishwasher. But in people that say, despite the opposition, Lord Jesus, stir my heart to count for more. Half-hearted is when we say yes on the outside, but we say no on the inside. Hey, will you serve in this ministry? Will you help? Whiskey and reverse. Wholehearted is when we say yes, and our heart says yes on the inside, and our actions say yes on the outside, and the grace of God flows through us to get the job done. 
um, wholehearted fills us with energy and joy and life. And when we are half-hearted about things, it just drains your energy and your life and your joy. And the things you do do are so much more taxing because we're half-hearted about it. But when we're wholehearted about it, then all of a sudden we have energy to get it done. When we are wholehearted, it means that we are all in. This is great when everything is going great. Yet it's not great when things are not going, going great. Let me explain for those that are wholehearted in the room. When you are wholehearted in a relationship, you've given your everything to that relationship. We experience the full reward of everything that relationship has to offer. Yet we also experience the risk of wholehearted hurt. To go into battle wholeheartedly. All or nothing. I'm putting my life on the line. Exposes us to, to great risk as well as great reward. But you can't go into battle half-hearted because then you'll get a beating by the enemy. But if you go in wholehearted and devoted to God, then all of a sudden your attitude towards everything starts to change. It's unfortunate but true that we seem to wane in wholehearted living as we grow older. Think about children. Children are an incredible example of wholehearted living. When you are little... The whole world is exciting. The whole world is a playground. Everything is an adventure. Everything is wonderful. Christmas is euphoric. You like cannot believe such a wonderful time would exist. Simple things become special things. I've got a picture on the screen here of, of Jack. There we go. Look at little Jack when he was small. By the way, we're going to stand together not telling him that I showed you this picture. That's Jack sleeping with a potato masher. That potato masher was the best thing he'd ever found in his whole life. He loved it. He was absolutely excited about it. It was like he walked around with it all day. He held it. He played with it. It was, it was an imaginative tool to like explore the universe. And then when he went to bed at night, we had to like sneak away the potato masher so he didn't like hurt himself. But simple things become special things and wonderful things when we live wholehearted. Ice cream is completely amazing and worth living for when you are little. It makes the whole world stand still until we drop it. <laughs> and then life is not worth living anymore. The rewards are spectacular, but so are the risks. I've got Kayla, a picture of little Kayla with her ice cream. She, I'm telling you now, nothing else existed. That ice cream was the only thing. It was, it was traumatic for all of us. That little ice cream out of her hands. You can see she's still got 90% of it on her arm. I mean, she's good to go there, but she dropped that ice cream. Everything about kids is wholehearted. Yet life has a way of chipping away at our hearts until only half is left behind. And then when we do put our hands to something, it's half-hearted. Pain and mistakes and heartache and regret and fear all make the risk of wholehearted living so much more tangible and then we shrink back completely. We sit on the couch and we be quiet. So we eliminate the risks. And a lot of us spend our whole life eliminating risks. But we also eliminate the reward. And I'm trusting this morning, as I'm talking, God will stir you in faith and say, Lord Jesus, have I been tepid and half-hearted? Please, Lord Jesus, give me the faith to live wholeheartedly devoted to you. Unfortunately, half-hearted living goes hand in hand with cynicism and criticism. When wholehearted living is on the decline, cynicism and criticism are on the increase. They're on the rise. And in Scripture, we don't read about half-hearted heroes who had a thought of taking the land but did nothing about it. There are so many of them. 
Joshua and Caleb were surrounded by half-hearted people. Yet it was Caleb's wholehearted living that opened doors from. So the question is this. Are we living wholehearted? Three lessons, quick lessons, we can learn from Caleb's life. Number one, Caleb followed God wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly devoted to the king and the kingdom. Numbers 14, verse 8. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Because it's easy to follow God wholeheartedly? Absolutely not. It's very, very difficult, actually. But living life wholeheartedly after God, it's not easy, but it brings about the reward of what God has to offer. And I want to say, so many people in our church are examples, incredibly good examples of a wholehearted living. We have the Golden Warriors, a group that meets on a Tuesday morning, and they are a retired group of people. And, and I think the word golden warrior, which I've shared before, gold is something that's refined. In other words, they've gone through stuff in life that most of us wouldn't wish on anyone. That a lot of them have gone through incredibly difficult situations, and they've been refined, and they are warriors. They've had to fight through situations and battles to get to where they are. Yet at the same time, these men and women are so full of love and grace and goodness, and they are an incredible examples of wholehearted living. And, I, and there's a whole bunch of couples that I was thinking about that in our church that live wholehearted after Jesus. And you can see because their children and their children's children are living the same way. And I just want to commend you. For those that are living wholehearted, God bless you. Young people, Brent shared a word. Um, near the end of last year, and he said the storms will come. And what we want to do is we want to sit in neutral and avoid the storm, or we want to go around it. And sometimes God will take us right through the middle. But I would, be, I would rather be wholeheartedly devoted to God in the middle of the storm than half-hearted outside the storm. Storms will come your way, but be wholeheartedly devoted, holding on to Jesus, because he will get you through. So the next thing that we can learn from Caleb's life is he stayed connected wholeheartedly. Caleb lived in a community of faith. Throughout Scripture, God calls us to live in a community of faith. And it's not always easy to live in a community of faith, but that's God's way. It's not the church's way. It's not some sort of social thing. It's God's way. Through the living word of God, he says community is incredibly good for you. It is healthy. It's the way you are supposed to live your lives. In the Old Testament, the community of faith was the Israelites. In the New Testament, the church has been grafted in as a community of faith. So therefore, we are included in this call of God to live in community. Now think about Caleb's community of faith. Firstly... They were a community living as slaves for the first 40 years. Then they leave, and the community of faith end up being the most grumpy, complaining, miserable, faithless people that he could ever be involved with. And then this group of grumpies finally get to the promise, only for the same cynical, fearful, half-hearted living, to cause them to go back into the wilderness for another 40 years. So 40 years as a slave, and then 40 years following around his community who are not living like God called them to, but he still stayed devoted. Somehow he still stayed connected to a community of faith. And then they drift around in the desert aimlessly, not because of their lack of faith, but because of the lack of faith of all the other people, but it still cost all of them. How would we feel if God said this? Guys, just want to let you know, for the next 40 years, I'm going to do nothing with you. 
because of the hard-hearted people and community that you connected with. We'd be like, uh, you know, I don't know if that's good for me to stay connected. But Caleb stays connected to the community of faith. There's something about staying connected to a healthy community that brings about, or, or a spiritual God-ordained community that brings about his purpose, even if it has its faults. Surely we would think this, I'm better off alone than being with that grumpy bunch. Yet somehow, Caleb's inheritance was still connected to that community. And somehow, he still stayed connected to them, even though they were faulty, wholeheartedly. He didn't stay with them because they were perfect. He stayed with them because God ordained community. Like the old saying goes, if you find the perfect church, don't go there because you will mess it up. It's the truth. We are not perfect people. We are all people broken in pursuit of a living God. And we walk together in community. Why? Because it's God's way. Caleb still got what God wanted from him. And he must have been so tempted to say, that's it. Joshua, you and I, our families, we're going. It's like the body getting a cold and then the finger says, that's it, I'm done. I'm disconnecting. And what we do is we chop off our finger. What happens to the finger when you disconnect it from the body? It dies. If we disconnect our finger from the body, the body feels pain and the finger ends up dying. And we're seeing people that are disconnecting because they feel like, oh no, that, that community isn't exactly perfect. So therefore they disconnect themselves from community and they end up dying, spiritually so to speak. We are designed by God to function best within community. And how much better if the whole community, which I believe we've got, is wholeheartedly devoted to God. And the last one is this. By the way, there's something supernatural that happens when we gather. I mean, you could have sat at home today and you could have worshipped, you know, you could put on a, a YouTube video and you could worship. But when we gather, there's something about a corporate anointing that can't be replaced. When we gather, God blesses it. Why? Because it's God's way. And the last one, he took ground wholeheartedly. Caleb had every reason to be half-hearted. Forty years a slave, forty years in the desert, and only then at 80 he starts taking land, living a whole life of unseen promises, yet the fight in him never wavered. And because of his wholehearted living, the generation that followed him ended up being land-conquering people just like he was. His daughter carried the same authority and anointing that he did, and she took land. His son-in-law ended up being the first judge of Israel, and he took land. May our children and our children's children take land until Jesus returns, because they see our wholehearted living. Amen. If our children and our children's children see our devotion to Jesus Christ and our heart... And they follow it. Will we be blessed by that? Or we say, I wish I'd been a bit more devoted when I, was, when I had the opportunity. If you are here today because you've been dragged here by your parents, may the blessing of God rest on you. Because one day you'll look back and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for my parents who were devoted to wholehearted living. We are called by God to take land. We are called by God to take our land. And I want us to put up, and I know that we, there's a few practical things I want to just end with. I want us to put up that picture again. Oh, it's there. I want us to pray over this land. And by the way, this is, just, this is, this is part of the land. This land ex- expands into our province, which expands into our nation, which expands into the world. There's something about South Africans that are land takers. We are, you know, there, there's something about going into the whole world and, and having... Our heart to see the gospel spread throughout the world. 
founded on missionaries. Now let's let's trust God. Let's if you can, in your stretch out your hand in faith, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the land that you've given us. I thank you for the school. I thank you for our homes, our properties, the places that we rent, our businesses. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that all of us in this room will be wholeheartedly devoted to saying this, our land is your land, Lord. And use me as my hand is up today. I say, here I am, Lord. Send me, use me strategically to reach people with the gospel. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we will take much land. I thank you that people look at Imams and Toti and surrounding areas and say, oh, you mean the God place? The place filled with the Spirit. It's hard to drive through there without touching, feeling the presence of God. Anoint all the churches in our community, Lord Jesus. And anything that comes against our community and our call, I pray will bow its knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. I remember when people used to say, hold out your hand in faith. And then I'd be like, if I drop it, then I'm kind of like failing. So then, oh, wait a minute. The guy started preaching 20 minutes ago. And then I, OCD. Um, I hope your arms... Guys... This is not a head issue. It's a heart issue. God put you here in this room on purpose. So, how do we take this land? One of the practical things I said, we are going to be doing, running our identity series. And, and one of the best ways to take the land, remember, our battle is not flesh and blood. So you could go to your neighbor's house and like steal it, but that's not what taking land's all about. It's taking the gospel that we carry into that space until that space is occupied by the gospel too. So we're doing the identity series, and Chris reminded me, if you come on Tuesday night, that doesn't mean that you're saying, yes, I'm definitely devoted, and they're going to rope me into leading a group. You might say, look, I don't feel comfortable to lead a group right now, but I just want to find out more, and I want to learn and grow. Then come on Tuesday night, and we will tell you more about it. But we have this identity series coming up, and we're gonna, this is the gifted series that we did. This is the purpose series that we did. So we're going to hand out identity booklets to everybody. And inside there's daily devotions, and there's um, weekly things that we have to fill out. So we... Mm, bad example, because I took an empty book. So there's going to be um, pages that we have to fill out. One of the best ways to take the land is to invite a friend. Bring a friend to church. Start a group. Maybe you're in the room and you're on the fence and you've got two friends. Get them together. Put your name down. We will give you all the training and equipment that you need. And let's start taking ground for the king and the kingdom. So get involved. Another way is this. We've got these forms here. Designed by Hillcrest, actually. There's one on every second chair. So you might say, well, I didn't get one. You know, the person next to me got it. Can I ask that you, one of two things. If you don't fill it out today, then take it home, pray over it, ask God where you should fill it out and bring it up back. But we don't want these to go to waste. And on here, there's something that you can fill out that says, I'd like to join a group, I'd like to host a group, I'd like to lead a group. Hosting just means I don't, I don't want to lead it, but I don't mind making my home available for someone else to come and lead a group in my home. Please put your names down and fill out these forms. Another thing we want to do about these forms is we want to get our database up to date because it is very messy at the moment, our database. And what we want to do is try and get it up to date. So even if you say, I'm not going to tick anything, I'm not sure where I need to fit and I'm not sure where I belong, please fill it out anyway so that we can make sure that we've got all your details so we can communicate effectively. Um, so fill out the forms, start praying. And we'll see you on Tuesday night. I want to pray over us, but I want us to stand as we, as we pray.
I pray, Lord Jesus, that everybody, everybody, everybody in this room, not one or two, everybody will have the faith of Joshua and Caleb to take land, Lord. And if we're not sure where we belong, how are we going to do it, what it looks like, I thank you, Lord, that you will give us the wisdom, that you will show us how, when, and where, and who. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will stir something in us as a faith to be a pioneering people, Lord, that we will go into all the world, that we will take this community, Lord Jesus, with the gospel. I thank you, Lord, that, that we will be people that take land for the king and the kingdom. I pray, Lord, right now for all those people that are in the room that feel absolutely disqualified. I thank you that you qualify them. They are qualified through devotion to you. I thank you that you restore them and I thank you that you use them. I pray, Lord, that as we go into this identity series, that your anointing be on it. I thank you that as leaders are ordained next week and we, and we move forward as a church and talk about the vision, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your anointing will be on it. I pray as a church for the leadership that we never ask you to bless what we're doing, Lord Jesus, but we get in what you're doing because it's already blessed and we devote ourselves to you. I pray, Lord, as one of the leaders in our church, that we will be completely, wholeheartedly submitted to you as our leader. Lord Jesus, this week, may we be devoted to your causes. I pray, Lord, that those that are sitting that haven't read the Bible for a while, I think you something will stir in their heart. And as they read, Lord Jesus, it'll be like it'll be life-giving and stir their faith. I, 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 as I'm standing here, I'm just praying with your with your. And I'm feeling, Lord, what what would what would you say if you stood here? You know, like I trust that when we prepare, we we you know we hear the Spirit. I feel the word is more. God's saying, I have more. For all those that want, come and eat. There's more. There's more for you. And it's not just about, oh Lord, I want more from you. The way we get more from God is we say we want more of God. Lord, we want to take the land because you deserve the glory. I thank you that every heart and every home will be open. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.